Yeah, people, what's going down, man? How are you all doing? It's um episode 39. You know what I mean? Like, boy, everything's just been racking up episodes. Every week, people bringing you this content, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, we've got, hey, this is a fun episode. We've got some fun shit to talk about, man. Didn't been out, been out and about. So, um, yeah, went to see Tony Hinchcliffe. Went, to, got to, um, what else did I do? Yeah, went to, um, a talk at the South Bank Center. Was, um, oh, man. Marlon James, that's who it was. God damn it, my memory is just terrible at the moment. But yeah, like I got to get to, um, finally got to go to see the Hive Mind Improv Group as well. Um, so that was fun. Had an interview booked with them as well after the show. At one point, it did look like that was not going to happen. Like, um, I, I, you know, so I, I figured I would sit outside in, in the um, bar area, um, like give him a moment to, you know, get changed and just relax after the show. I thought to myself, I'll, I'll, I'll see them if they, if they come into the bar. It turns out they were sitting basically opposite me. Sitting basically opposite me. I had no signal on my phone. So they were messaging me. I was trying to message them. Like my messages weren't going through. I couldn't receive their messages. And it's like I don't know what it is. Because when I actually think about it. Yet there was no way I was ever going to see them. You know what I mean? Like, the only way I would see them is if they put their face right in front of mine. And even that is questionable. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Like, there's often times I forget that my eyesight is bullshit. And I just think, to myself, oh, yeah, you know, I see this. Ah, oh, that will happen. Bah, bah, bah. And, then, yeah, it doesn't. But, um... I asked the guy behind the box office, I was like, yo, are are those cats around? And he points to the table, and I was like, oh, okay. So, yep, we we got the interview done. So, you get to listen to that, so that will be fun. Um, Yeah, what else has happened this week? Oh, man, I don't know what it is. I have been falling over all over the place recently. And I properly stacked it the other day. I I just, I don't know, my balance just went. And I just hit the ground so hard. Like, luckily, I moved my head so I didn't smash it on the side. But my, my, my arm just, like, trying to post up with my arm. And my arm right now is killing me. Like, my back is just bruised to hell. It's just insane. It's insane. Like, so I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to get I'm gonna get one of those new Apple Watches. 
because it is because I figure like you know what I mean I can at least program in a number so if I fall it will <laughs> and I don't get up it will call someone and let them know because I don't want to be like rotting in the flat for months before someone's like I wonder where the fuck Kevin is but yeah um yeah probably brought it down a little right but fuck it man let us get to some news a little bit of news then we're just gonna go straight into yo what's been happening this week so let's get to it right okay so over in the uk two of our channels the bbc who like people will probably know for um things like Louis Farouk documentaries, um David Attenborough documentaries. They also have things like Fleabag, um Alan Partridge, ha ha um like absolutely fabulous like programs like that. And ITV, who produce shows like The Crown, um, Mr. Selfridge, you know, things like stuff like that. Um, They have decided to come together and create a streaming platform for the UK. Now, they, they've also, I mean, essentially, they're just retooling a product they already have. Because I think last year, they they launched this service in North America called BritBox. Uh, and so that they're, they're bringing that to UK shores. See, the, the, the crazy thing is, I'm just like, fine, this is what you want to do do it, whatever, whatever, you know what I mean, but the the way they're marketing it over here is they're calling it the Netflix rival, the Netflix killer, like, shut the fuck up, man, it's not a Netflix killer, it's not an Amazon Prime killer, you know what I mean, it's not even a huff and a puff and I blew your house down. It's a sniffle. It's a sniffle at best. We know that's all it is. Just because there's not enough programs. Not enough programs. Like the BBC have got a wealth of shows. But like they they didn't store their shit properly. That's why. Because if they had a lot of that programming would have been on iPlayer. It's never been on iPlayer. They've got so so many old shows that just n- have never showed up on iPlayer. The same with ITV. They have loads of old shows that people love, but have never appeared on you know I mean ITV Hub. So you're telling me me that all this shit is now gonna be on this street? No, it's not. It's not. And even if it was, it's still not enough to rival these other platforms you know what I mean and and even when you like you think about the newer ones that are coming so Disney Plus Apple Warner Media 
universal. Like, it hasn't got enough of those. It hasn't even got enough to rival, like, the HBO one. So, let us not call this Britbox. It's a dreadful name. Dreadful name, anyway. Britbox. Ugh. You know what I mean? Just call it crumpets and tea, you jackasses, man. But, look, just just market it as what it is. Like, the home of quintessential British TV. Do you know what I mean? Something like that. Because we know the Yanks love that shit. You know what I mean? Like, a little Doctor Who. A little Attenborough. Hey, they, 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 people would buy it for that, people would buy it for that, if you don't price it in a stupid range, you know, but it's just like, but then the other problem over here is, if you're bringing it over to UK shores, we already have the iPlayer, and we already have the ITV hub, so, they, I mean, they're talking that, you know, they might make content especially for Brickbox but it's a bit like it all gets a bit dicey you know because most things they make will appear on the TV as it is so you're going to say it's straight from TV it goes to Brickbox because you know while it's on TV then it will automatically be on iPlayer like technically so are you so what's the deal? Are you saying what so it'll be on TV, so that means it's on iPlayer. So that means it plays on there for this amount of time and then it just goes to Brickbox per like there's there's too much oddness. Too much oddness. It's like they're just muddying the waters. It's fine to have it for North America or just the rest of the world. But I don't see the point. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like, it's fine for them to do it. It just doesn't make sense when you have everything else. And they're like, oh, man, I I read this article. And they're talking about, oh, there's an appetite for more streaming channels. You know, people, especially if a house has Netflix and Amazon already, they want more. And they're like, no, they don't. If you have one that's a whole heap of friggin' TV. If you have two, you are never getting through every show on on those. You know, even if you say half of it, you will never watch because you, it, it's just not for you. So even if you said half of the content isn't for you, you still will not have the time to get through the rest of that. So... To then say, oh, and they want more. But as I know the amount of times I've thrown Netflix on. For, oh, I'll watch something. And then for, I have no clue what to watch. And then I've spent ages trying to figure out what to watch. To then go, you know what, fuck it. I'll, I'll listen to a podcast instead. Because, I, you know, it's hard to make a choice. So I'm not trying to add more of this crazy shit into my life. It's ludicrous, man. Just, just insane. So, you know what? I'm calling bullshit on the whole situation. You know, someone has told them that this is a smart idea. 
Do you know what I mean? Like trying to go, oh, we've done surveys, we've had focus groups, and people are clamoring. No, they're not. You're lying. You know you are. So, hey, just, just, you know what I mean? Just do what you want to do and just cut the bullshit. You know what I mean? It's just as simple as that, right? Okay, so just because we, you know what I mean, spoke about it last week, um, you know, it, I, I figured I, I should probably bookend the whole situation. So, um, Jussie Smollett, hey, he has completely, yeah, he's fucked himself. He's completely fucked himself, man. It's insane. So, something I didn't know. He, a letter had been sent, supposedly, to the Empire set. Stating a lot of racist bullshit against him. You know? So, they've just found that he wrote that letter. And all of this was a money grab. It was all of... See, now, I figured it was a money and attention grab. But just as a whole. But this was just a specific money grab to get more from Empire. That's that's what it was. He, he thought he should be earning more. And was just like, alright, I'm going to do this. I don't know how this would mean he gets more money. This is what I don't understand. You know what I mean? People call you names, so you get paid more? That, that makes no sense. You know what I mean? No sense whatsoever. Yeah, it's insane. But, um, yeah, that's what, that's what this fool did, you know? And because the letter didn't get him uh, an instant pay rise, that's why he got the, the dudes to beat him up. But, like, there's so many weird things with this, though, because it's just like, look, all right, so you sent, let's say you you sent a letter on a Monday. Are you expecting that week for them to be, call you into the office and be like, hey, um, Jesse, we got this letter. It's crazy. Um, we think because of this, we're going to give you $20,000 more. I, I don't know if that's a lot of money. I just this figure came to my head. But, um, does he, is that what he was thinking was going to Like, shit takes longer than a week, two weeks even. You know what I mean? It, take, it takes a while sometimes for certain cogs to turn. So, it, it was just like, surely you wait a while. You know what I mean? Before you go to phase two. But this motherfucker couldn't even wait. So goes to phase two. And the crazy thing is as well, this dumbass paid for the shit that was used against him. He's the one that paid for the, I think it was like he paid for the noose and the bleach. It was just like, how are you paying? You now you've given a record. There's a record of you buying this shit. It, it's just insane. It's, it's like, dude is a moron. He's a moron. So he, he's been charged, I think, by the FBI for the false letter. He's also been arrested and charged 
for the wasting police time um you know and and the, and the false claims of the 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 racial beating it, it it's just the craziest shit in the world you know but the, like the thing is that you, you know they're saying he could get prison time and because he has priors yeah maybe he could technically get prison time but you know that his lawyers are gonna pull a um you know a a a a breakdown a mental breakdown kind of thing or or you mean something like that it's gonna be like oh he had a temporary you know, loss of senses or blah blah blah. You know what I mean? It's just, oh, because as a child, you know what I mean? He, he like he's um his dad blew on his asshole when he was bathing him. So now he he has all these all this pent up bullshit. Yeah, you know, there's gonna be something. There's gonna be some reason for why this happened. Instead of him just manning up and just being like, yeah. You know what? I'm an ass man. I tried the thing, it didn't work. Book me. You know what I mean? You know that's not gonna happen. But yeah. I'm like oh, I don't care, but I'm just baffled how ridiculous this whole situation is, you know? It's just it's crazy. Crazy. So I'm just back from seeing one of the top young rising comedians in the world. No, I wasn't just looking in the mirror. I just seen Tony Hinchcliffe, motherfuckers. And god damn it, it was so, so damn funny. Oh man. Like just his story about a threesome is epically amazing so like just everyone was in stitches it was such a great night you know what I mean just like but you might hear him on podcasts or you might catch him on like some of the roasts and things like that and you know what I mean he's fast he's witty he's sharp you 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 get that but when you see him live the way he strings things together you know what I mean? The way he, like, will tell a story. It's just hilarious. And also, the way he controls the crowd. So, not just, like, the in, in the respect that, you know, he was able to get the room going, keep it going. If a joke looked like it might be floundering, he'd, like, pick it up and then just smash it. No. Obviously, you know what I mean? It's, it's like this is what happens in London, man. You get those idiot drunk people that just start shouting shit out and being idiots, man. You know what I mean? And, hey, he just he just kept them under control. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't roast them. He didn't. He, he just made them look like fools and 
they just couldn't say anything. You know what I mean? Obviously, they, they'd be quiet for a little bit and then they'd start again. But, yo, he handled it, handled it well. And it didn't really, like, it, you know what I mean? It didn't take over the whole set. Like, I've been at some places and people have dealt with hecklers in a way that the set is now just that. Do you know what I mean? There's no jokes. It's just them dealing with And that can just get a bit like, ugh. But Hinchcliffe, man, ugh. It was just great. Just, you know, slop top. Now that's the thing. You know what I mean? I think every motherfucker in the room is going to be trying to find their own slop top. <laughs> because, ah. Yeah, he, he spoke to the people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that Christmas tree grip. Ah, it was just like, ah. And, and even, see, the thing is, like, with some of the jokes as well, he, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Some people might, oh, but you're just talking to the guys. And be like, no, because the girls got it. Like, the girls are just like, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, like, that's how we are. We do that shit. Yeah, not going to lie. <laughs> so it was just, woo, it was a good night, man. And I am so glad that I got to go. Because, yeah, I had tickets for Tuesday. And, like, you know, I was just so ill that I was just like, ugh. I'm so ill that I thought that my tickets were for next year. I thought I bought tickets for February next year. Like, trust me, even if I'd realised that they were for this Tuesday, I was so fucked, I, I wasn't going anywhere. You know what I mean? But it was just like, that's the extent that I was just like hallucinating like a motherfucker. But, yeah, Soho Fear hooked me up. I was just, you know, because it was my frigging card. Some motherfucker tried to steal my money. So my cards have been frozen. So, you know what I mean? I, I, I managed to get a couple of tickets put aside, pick them up tonight, saw some comedy. It was great. I tried to hold it down. You know what I mean? I tried to be inconspicuous. But, oh man, every time you try, then that the laugh just sneaks out, just catches you unaware. And that was it. You know what I mean? It, it, it was just, oh. But it, it was funny, man. Hinchcliffe, like he didn't kill me. So that was good. And, it, you know what I mean? It was funny the way it all went. Because it was just like... Because he was talking to me, but the dumb motherfucking friend I was with, obviously, look, when we go to comedy, as soon as someone, like, turns and looks in our direction, he goes AWOL. So he's, like, you know what I mean, scooching over to the other side. Not saying anything. Hinchcliffe is looking at me. I can't see that he's looking at me. And then he's just like, oh, what's wrong? Are you blind? And I'm like, yeah. And then he's just like, oh, shit. And that was it, man. It, it was just hilarity from that point onwards. But yeah, man, this was an epically fun-ass night. So, um, yeah, heard some uh, potential rumours about who may be coming over and touring. And if that does come to 
come to be oh god damn good times good times for sure hey and um yeah i'm definitely gonna be trying to get those skank fest tickets when they go on sale because yeah i I wanna i really wanna go catch kill tony live and um try and do a little you know what i mean see if i've uh, my material can last that minute and um not really not like you know what i mean fall flat on my ass <laughs> and afterwards as well saw um tony at the bar and um yeah had a little chat he is yo he's a friendly motherfucker you know what i mean he is just straight up so you know what i mean we just had a little chat that was golden and um yeah he gave me a little advice for stand up so that was good so yeah i'm really gonna try and um once i get this medical bullshit sorted you know what i mean i'm uh hopefully gonna go back at it man you know what I mean? get back on that horse and do a little thing so yeah this was um yeah, Tony Hinchcliffe at the Soho Theatre was just hilarious, man. It was, it was it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun indeed. So, if you um, are able to uh, catch him live, people, I would definitely say do it. You need to go do it because a it's it's funny as hell, and you will not be disappointed. Trust me. Okay, so, in episode 35, I tried to do it. Today, I finally did. I went to go see the Hive Mind Improv Troupe do their thing at the Museum of Comedy. Um, Alright, so, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I know I've seen improv before, but it's been a long-ass time, man. So, you know... I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. But when you go on the website, it says, Ever wanted to create your own smash hit epic fantasy? Come help comedy troupe Hive Mind improvise one for you. With no script and no plan, we'll use your suggestions to create an original fantasy tale of blood and wine, honour, and treachery, fellowships, and actual ships, a tale that has never been told before, and will never be told again, featuring a fully improvised musical score, lord of the game of the ring of thrones, promises all the drama and majesty of the fantasy stories you know and love, but hopefully with none of the lawsuits. So, you know, it was a full house, man. You know what I mean? It was completely packed. And um, so they start off and they ask for people's suggestions on things. You know what I mean? So they they, they set the tone. And so, you know, they'll, they'll ask for a title. So then people throw up suggestions and you get those. Then they ask for maybe the name of the land and what the land is known for and you know little bits like that write it all down so once they've got those then everything um yeah everything kicks off 
You know what I mean? They, they, so they start and then they, it's just them playing off each other a lot. You know, someone will say something and do something or they might kind of probe for something. And then it's just like, oh, so remember, father told us to make the, uh, oh, what did father tell us to make? And then the other person has to like come up with something on the spot. And then, yeah, that, so it just flowed like that. And as I have to say, it was a lot of fun, you know, going into something, you know, not knowing what it will be. And I think, you know, going to see a lot of comedy, you know, people develop their their hours or the, you know, 15 minutes or half an hour. They've developed the set. So, you, you know, there's not really any improvisation there because it's just you've been polishing and working and creating something. So to see something like this where things are basically made up on the fly, it's, it's a different kind of feel, you know. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. It it was really good. Um, I'd probably say the beginning was stronger than like the end. I you know it was good, but I think the beginning part was stronger. But yeah, there was laughs all the way through. You know, no one left the place unhappy. And um, yeah, they they they're doing it like every month at the uh, at the museum of comedy. So at the moment, they've got dates for um, the 29th of March and the 26th of April. But uh, yeah, you know, we will uh, see, you know, they've got a website so you can see whenever, whenever else they'll be playing. But um, they were kind enough to... Um, kind enough to sit down with me um so yeah i'm gonna go uh find them and we will have a little conversation okay so i'm at the museum of comedy just seen the hive mind improv crew do um a hilarious show so they were kind enough to sit and have a little chat um so yeah let's get this started right so how did the hive mind come up? Wait, actually, first of all, first of all, let's introduce the people that are here. So, who have we got? Uh, hi, I'm Harriet. Um. Uh, I'm Jack Lawrence. Hi, I'm Alex. Hi, I'm Ellie. Great stuff. Okay, so how did the hive mind come about? Who wants to fill this? It came about, started with me and Jack right here. Um, we, uh, we, well, we all met at uh, Cambridge University together, all four of us and the rest of the troupe too, um, with the Cambridge Impronauts. That's the Cambridge University improv troupe. Most universities have one. Uh, we, um, yeah, the Impronauts has been running a very long time. It brings new members in, it trains them up, and then it sets them out in the big wide world, normally without improv. But when we graduated, um, we thought, no, we want to continue this and we want to bring improv to, we want to create a new troupe and bring it to London. So we formed Hive Mind and then we, um, Jack and I roped in Harriet, Ellie, and the rest of the troupe a little bit later, when, once we'd hatched this plan, and we've been performing for two years now. Ah, okay, cool. So, you decided to, you know, get together, so then, how do you plan the shows? Because, you know, there, there, there's this audience participation to get it started. 
Well, obviously the answer is that we tightly script every single thing. That's what I did notice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that we were just reading off pieces of paper really gave it away. <laughs> I, I, and to be honest, I've got bad eyesight. Didn't even see it. <laughs> if you I know. I mean, I mean, if you're sitting at the back as well, like, you can really get away with it. Um, I think mostly we just rehearse a lot of the skills. Um, and once you've got the base of skills, um, then you can kind of uh, deploy them uh, at will. Also, our shows up till now have had themes. So right now we're doing Lord of the Game of the Ring of Thrones, which is a fantasy theme. So we pick something that we're all really keen to do. And that helps us give a framework uh, that we can work within. So it's not just us doing anything, from your suggestion, it's us doing something within like a very consistent world, a very consistent feel. Okay. Now, there seemed to be a little discussion about economics in the, in the middle of today's show. So will that be the, the, the theme of the next show? Uh, we're not sure. We sort of decide themes uh, depending on uh, you know what, what we're all interested in. I think we, we try and stay away from doing anything too political, just because there's a huge amount of exhaustion over it. And also, it's kind of hard to come up with anything original or insightful on the spot, night after night. We like to stick with themes where we think there's a you know a huge amount of depth and variety that we can bring to a show. So one show that we're bringing to the Edinburgh Fringe this year is uh, an improvised superhero uh, show. Uh, because again, there's a huge amount of interest in that. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of us love comics, and so there's a lot of variety there. Whereas, again, if you if you start talking about politics or economics, it's kind of people get tired of it. We've done so many shows where Trump or Brexit has been suggested, and honestly, it might be funny for the first five minutes, but it's not funny for the rest of the show either for us or for them. So that's why we try to stay away from it. So um, we be try basing it more DC or Marvel. <laughs> any, any, any. We, we, we've done, uh, you know, we think even like The Incredibles or anything like that. So we like to keep it pretty loose. Uh, but, uh, yes, yeah, you know, come see our show, see where we end up. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so when the audience shout out suggestions and things like that, so how do you kind of, are there some, like, as you said, you stick, stick, still, steer clear of things like Trump and stuff like that. But is there any other criteria on things that you won't go near when people like, you know, are, are suggesting? Cheese. <laughs> cheese. Cheese gets suggested at every single show. Someone will say cheese as a response to one of our questions. Like they make cheese, they, they live in cheese, they're made out of cheese. For some reason, every audience member thinks that cheese is this really hilarious substance that needs to be in an improv show. Cheese. Every time. Either that or bees. We, we, think, we think we get bees a lot because of the name hive mind plants, right. plants the suggestion subliminally in people's minds. <laughs> and they then come out with bees later on when we ask them for a suggestion. So cheese and bees are, are no-goes. No Any other topics? Yeah, and, and of course, uh, uh, so I, I think it's sort of like uh, inherent criteria is that we look for um, an idea that excites us as a cast. Uh, or indeed excites the audience. So a lot of the time, if it gets a big reaction or a big laugh from the audience, uh, and you know we're excited to do that, then that's uh, the ingredient for a great show. Yeah, I mean, so at the start of this show, we draw a map together with the audience. So personally, I like stuff that's fun to draw. <laughs> so. Okay, and um, because you've got an hour to to do this, so how do you, you know, like, is there something what helps you keep on track that you'd be like, oh, we got. 10 minutes left we better tie this up kind of thing how do you keep that in mind yeah we've got so when we perform we have a phone with a timer and um, with the time on it uh, at the side of the stage so we can look at that and be like oh we've got 10 minutes left better add in some plot intrigue or whatever <laughs> so. 
We, we, we sort of have um, uh, so a lot of uh, narrative improv of what we do. Uh, the sort of aside from using skills and sort of rehearsing skills together, as Harriet mentioned, uh, a lot of what we talk about is actually narrative structure. Uh, and a really great thing about doing this kind of improv is that it, you get really uh, into uh, examining stories and what makes a story exciting and what's you know interesting about the pacing. So for any show we do where we try and tell a story, we think, okay, what are the sort of very broad uh, sort of beats you want to hit? So I think a lot of people are aware of the idea of the, of the hero's journey, which is like a classic story structure, which has you know very set parts, and you know you can analyze a lot of movies, and it they hit these parts pretty much right on the right on the mark. So we 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 before we do a show, we like to have some sort of structure like that where we're like, okay, maybe you know a quarter of the way through, we, we want to know what the world's like, and halfway through, you know something's going to happen that's going to like you know change something that's going to get people excited. So we do have those rough ideas. We've not once managed to stick to these ideas, though. I want to <laughs> clarify. We have we, we talk a lot of talk in our rehearsals, and I don't think this has ever happened in reality. I, yeah, I think I think we, once we had we had like a six part structure or like an eight part, and like you know, we can barely do four. So yeah. so so uh, so more more granular detail isn't really more helpful. <laughs> and so, how many times a week do you practice, or is it so many times a month for? every Monday for two hours um, unless we decide not to <laughs> but normally we do decide to that's, that's about it yeah <laughs> I, I should say also um, we, the time varies so you know when we're doing a fringe uh, our fringe runs we normally do two to three shows a day we've also got years of doing lots of rehearsals with each other uh, in our Cambridge days so while our rehearsal times from week to week might vary we've still got a huge bank and wealth of experience together that we're still adding to so that's what we sort of like uh, have to fall back on. Although I don't want to leave our new members out in the lurch. Like we're not all Cambridge people that have known each other over the years. We're recently taken on new members. So we have Josh and we have Isla. Um, we had Mungo, who's moved to Germany now, so he's no longer with us. But uh, we have taken on new members. We're not like an exclusive club. <laughs> so how do how do new members come about? Um, auditions, basically. Um, so we put out. We just put out feelers between like friends of friends and anyone who wants to audition. Uh, so we just did around like started this year, um, and basically anyone who we liked and got on well with, we were like, hey, come join. <laughs> okay, so um, have any of you done like stand up as well, or is it just solely sticking with the imp improv as a? Yeah, um, so everyone was just pointing at me there. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so actually before I did any improv at all, I um, did a couple of years of stand-up. Uh, I also write comedy. Um, in my day job, I'm a video producer, so I write and produce and direct comedy for that as well. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty broad church um, here, I find. Okay, cool. No, no worries. Um, all right, so I mean... This has been very interesting. So, but just before we tie everything up, when it is when it comes to like going to do the fringe, is something like that. How much more do you have to kind of ramp up what you do to kind of busy? Yeah, you said you do several shows in a day, and it's like, do you do the full month? And so, how do you kind of plan for all of that? Um, so, quite a lot of it. Well. Quite a lot of us have uh, full-time jobs, so doing the whole month is pretty tough with holiday and stuff. And also, it is exhausting. Like, last year we had two shows a day, we're planning to do that again. Um, and yeah, two weeks is enough. 
Um, but, you know, we like to make the most out of it. Uh, guesting with people is really fun. Um, playing with new people you don't get to play with, just seeing shows, it's... Yeah, it is very intense. There is a lot of prep work that goes into it with like finding accommodation and venues and publicity and making flyers and ordering everything. And then like also just rehearsing for that many shows. It's just like, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> cool. So, um, yeah. So ha has everything been finalized for that already or does that start a bit later? I wouldn't say finalized. Uh, we, we have our slots confirmed. Uh, we have all of the sort of the most difficult admin challenges done. And we've successfully bluffed to all the venues that we have three very functional shows ready to roll out. And in reality, we have, we have one very vaguely sketched idea. <laughs> one, we're taking this show up, so that's, that's ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And one we've done before. And one we've done before, so that's OK. Uh, can I just, yeah. That's, that's Three whole shows are definitely happening, for sure, for real, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> we would like to confirm that Hype Man is doing five shows this spring. That's five whole shows, um, six on Saturdays. Uh, actually, that's 24, uh, one for every hour of the yeah. day. Um, it's Hype Mind all day, every day, uh, Fringe 2019. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, that, so that's great. So how many more shows have you got at the um, Museum of Comedy? Well, uh, two more are currently booked. So um, 29th of March, Brexit Day, and then the 26th of April. Um, but we do hope to carry on on the last Friday of every month uh, for the indefinite future until they kick us out. <laughs> okay, great. And can people find you anywhere else or is it here and then Fringe? funny you should mention that because people can uh, uh, hire us for their for their shows whenever they want so um, yeah you just you can book us we'll turn up we will do whatever you ask for the right fee basically and where do they go to find out how to do that uh, so yeah we have Facebook Twitter we also have a website and a newsletter that you can sign up for and we do do ad hoc performances here and there uh, from time to time and that's www.hivemindimprov.com or you can email us direct at hello at hivemindimprov.com Seamless. Okay, I'll put, the, I'll put the details in the description of this episode. All right, well, guys, thank you very much for um, spending the time and talking. And um, yeah, it was a great show. Thanks for coming. So I'm just back from another evening at the South Bank Centre. Uh, I went to see an exclusive um, launch discussion for uh, Marlon James's Black Leopard Red Wolf. Okay, so this the event um, is described in this way. Drawn from vivid African history and mythology, Black Leopard Red Wolf is a saga of breathtaking adventure and powerful intrigue, a meditation on the nature of truth and power. It tells the story of Tracker, known far and wide for his skills as a hunter. Yeah, obviously, it's in the name, right? And he always works alone. But when he is engaged to find a child who disappeared three years ago, he must break his own rules. Joining a group of eight very different mercenaries working together to find the boy. Following the lost boy's scent, one 
ancient city to another, into dense forests and across deep rivers, Tracker starts to wonder, who is this boy? Why has he been missing for so long? Why do so many people want to keep Tracker from finding him? And most important of all, who is telling the truth and who is lying? Marlon James is the author of New York Times bestseller, A Brief History of Seven Killings, The Book of Nightwoman and John Crow's Devil. A Brief History of Seven Killings won the Man Booker Prize, the American Book Award and the Ainsfield Wolf Award for fiction and was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. The Book of Night Women won the Minnesota Book Award and was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award as well as the NAACP Image Award. James is currently a professor at McAllister College in St. Paul's. Equi Essian is a writer, critic and curator. Listed by Evening Standard as one of London's thousand most influential people. He is chairman of the 4th Plymouth Commissioning Group and creative director of Calvert 22 Foundation, an arts organisation dedicated to the contemporary culture of Eastern Europe. Eschen is former director of the ICA and a frequent contributor to TV and radio shows, including Saturday Review, Front Row on BBC Radio 4. His writing has appeared in publications including New York Times, Financial Times, The Guardian, The Observer and Granta. He is author of the Orwell Prize nominated memoir Black Gold of the Sun and editor of Africa Modern, creating the contemporary art of a continent. So yeah, this was... It was an uh, it was an interesting um, evening, set up as a discussion between um, Marlon James and Equo uh, Eshon, who was interviewing him, um, more or less, and it kind of just talked about many different things. You know, James as a writer, um, the new book. He, the influences and other kind of things like that on his life um, And it was like very interesting to hear So the thing is like I did not enjoy a brief history of seven killings It just, I just found it tedious and irritating But the thing is like every time I've heard James talk sounded extremely interesting and um also when he does readings they always sound interesting and intriguing and i've heard him read excerpts of a brief history of seven killings and was more interested in it then so i wonder if he had narrated the whole book would it have resonated more to me? So because of that, 
I thought, yeah, let me go um, to this event and hear about this new book, you know, because it was, yeah, you know, in this new book, it's fantasy, um, and it's also the start of a trilogy, which is like, you know, completely, uh, completely different to his previous work. And, um, yeah, you know, the event was very interesting. I have to say, I, I would, like, my only, um, I think my only criticism was that, uh, Echo, um, he did kind of talk over James sometimes, uh, and some of these questions... They, you know what I mean, they were a little basic, you know what I mean, but, you know, essentially the, the whole thing was, it was interesting, so it was interesting to hear, you know, James's thoughts on different things, um, the fact that creativity helps drive him right, so, you know, listening to music, listening to poetry, you know, um, uh, like, things like that help him with his writing, so I think that's interesting, uh, the fact that, you know, he, he gets this depression after finishing something, and the fact that he's found the best way to get around that is just to write, you know what I mean, just to, just to write until you get the funk out, so, yeah, no, that, that was, um, that was good, but then also hearing about the new book itself, because, um, like, yeah, when you go to a lot of places or you watch a program and they're talking about it, it is described as the African Game of Thrones. And, like, James is just like, yeah, he fucked up. In um, he was asked to describe it very quickly, and as a throwaway remark, that's how he referred to it. You know, the African Game of Thrones. So I think he said people have been reading it expecting something similar to Game of Thrones, and it's nothing like that. So you know what I mean? It it was interesting to hear then what the book was about, the fact that. Although it's kind of listed as a trilogy, it's not really a trilogy in a normal sense. You know, that it's one event and each book follows, follows someone else's perspective of that one event. Now that, that is really interesting to me. You know, I've I've read some books that have done kind of a similar thing, and always in I was talking to my friend Is who came um, to this with me. You know, because she always comes to the the Man Booker Prize. Uh, so yeah, we always try and hit these literary events together. Um, but she, um, yeah, it's it similar to me. You know. We've all, we've come across things like this that have taken that approach, and in concept, it's always interesting. In um, delivery, it doesn't always work, 
Like sometimes it's because you've become invested in certain characters. So then to find out that, you know, those characters are assholes really, or, you know, something different to what you thought, that can be a bit like, oh, what's going on here? Um, and then other times it's a bit like, okay, it was interesting for the first blah, 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 but the fact that it's gone on for this amount of time, mm, I'm bored of the concept now, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of develops over three books, you know, does it hold up, like, what's the situation here, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to checking that out, I've got the first book, but I don't do trilogies until all the books are out because certain people are kind of shabby with their with, with the speed of their writing, like you know, and I think some of the biggest, obviously, Robert Jordan was Wheel of Time. There were crazy delays with that. Everyone knows. George R. R. Martin with Game of Thrones. There have been delays on Brent Weeks' latest set of books. Um, and the one that kills me the most. Uh, like, I, you know, I botch his name all the time. But Patrick Rothfuss, you know, a naming of the wind. Which is an incredible book. So the fact that book three still has no indication of a publication date. As far as I know. Maybe like an announcement has come out that I'm not aware of. But hey, last time I looked, there was nothing. And it's been a long ass motherfucking time. Which is frustrating. So, I, I, you know what I mean? So now, hey, I will wait once the third book is announced, you know? Yeah, like, sometimes I wait for it to actually come out. Sometimes it just needs to be announced and maybe a few weeks away, you know? Like, I've started Red Sister by um, Mark Lawrence because the final book in the series, I think it's Holy Sister, is out on the 4th of March, so to me, it's fine to start that series, you know, but yeah, with this, with um, this Dark Star trilogy, that um, Black Leopard, Red Wolf is the start of, I'm gonna wait a little, well, another interesting thing that was pointed out, like Esco, Escal, Asked Marlon about his thoughts on the Black Fantastic, and how, what, what, like, what is his views of um, why you know a, there's a lot of good Black content suddenly appearing, and I think they they kind of thought that it's because Black people have just decided, all right, well, oh, 
I can do that too now. You know, they've seen a few examples of, oh, I can do that, so I'll do that. I don't think it's that. I honestly do not think it's that. Because, you know, I, because when you go back, look, we can go back a few years, and you look at things, and there's always been black people doing, you know, writing, doing poetry, doing, you know, different genres of music and everything like that. The problem is there's always, there's been so many barriers to do anything. You know, you go for jobs, go for jobs, because it's always, why are there no black people on the boards? Why are there no black people in these higher positions? It's because you go for those jobs. And they'll make up bullshit excuses why you're not getting the jobs. You know what I mean? You're, you're, there's these barriers in your way. Now, don't get me wrong, there are still plenty of barriers against people, but some have opened up gaps, you know what I mean, like, so a few people have been able to squeeze through and shine, and I think that's it, you know, we've been, like, the culture has changed, Everyone is a bit too, oh, we can't say offensive words. And when I say offensive words, I'm just meaning things like, you fuck face. You know what I mean? Clumsy ass over there. Ah, you lost the race, fucking loser. Can't say things like that. Which is insane, because it's character building, motherfucker. You know what I mean? But because of that, it now means that, Alright, so we have to have so many minorities on a show and blah, blah, blah. So it just means that, like, certain people have had the ability to shine a little bit. So that's why I feel we're seeing more things. You know, like, Black Panther, obviously it was never going to win Best Film. Do you know what I mean? But I never wanted it to win best film. Because it wasn't the best film. It's a great film. I love it. It's not the best film though. But it has won a slew of Oscars. And that's big like a motherfucker right there. You know what I mean? So, hey, like this. And this wouldn't have happened, say, 10 years ago. You know what I mean? So it's just the way... The world has evolved. We're now seeing more black and ethnic people doing bigger things in certain roles. You know, curating their version of the world, which is great. Okay, well, as the event was about... Um, Black Leopard, Red Wolf. Marlon did a little bit of a reading, and I was able to uh, record it. So, um, if if you're wondering about the book, you know what I mean, whether you think it's worth you buying it or not, hey, maybe listen to this, and it could help your opinion. Okay, so here, here you go, people. Very much like the Wicked Queen and Alice. Alice in Wonderland. 
Um, and in this scene, this is the first time the queen or anybody in the court is seeing a light-skinned guy. So they, of course they're shocked. They have no idea what about light and what, what white skin means. So, um, and she's quite, the other thing you should know about the queen of the lingo here, one, they're speaking in a language that the characters don't really understand. And she's a super tyrant. Like, like if, I, if she says, I made a joke, it's funny. The, 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 the entire you know, throne room laughs. Um, so the characters are her. Tracker, who's a narrator, he's a red wolf. And Mossy, he's an Arab, but they've never seen somebody with light skin and straight hair before. So the, queen's, the queen talks first. Or let me describe her first. Her skin, like her men, a black that came from the deepest blue. Her crown, like a gold bird, had landed on her head and wrapped her wings around her face. Gold also lined her eyes and glimmered from a small spot on both lips. Listen to me now, she said. Rumors, I already hear them. Rumors of men the color of sand, some even the color of milk. But I am queen and I believe what I wish. So I did not believe they lied, but look at the one before us. The, the Dillingan tongue sounded like Malakal's, sharp sounds spoken in the quick, and long sounds that lingered on purpose. Masi already forward his brow. He nudged me. What does she say? You don't speak the Dillingan tongue? Certainly, a fat eunuch taught me, of course. Of course I don't speak it. What does she say? She talks of men she has never seen. You, I'm sure of it. Should I call him Sandman, she said. I shall call him Sandman, for I find this a funny thing. I said I find this a funny thing. <laughs> the entire hall broke out in laughter, clapping, whistling, and shouts to the gods. She flashed her hand and they quit in a blink. She waved Mossy over, but he didn't understand. Tracker, they laugh. Why do they laugh? She just called you Sandboy or sand person. This amuses them. Is he deaf? I had bid him come over, the queen said. Masi, she speaks of you, but she said nothing. She's a queen, if she spoke, she spoke. But she said nothing, fuck the gods, go. Two spears poked him in the back. The guards started walking and had Masi not moved, their blades would appear skinned. The queen says, Chancellor, you already go to more territories than they write in all the great books. Tell me, have you ever seen a man such as this? The chancellor bowed first. Most excellent queen, many times, and here's the thing, he, then how come you've never purchased one for me? Forgive me, my queen, are men even lighter than this? Yes, most magnificent. How frightening and how delicious. Then to Masi, what is your name? Masi stared at her blankly, like he truly was deaf. A guard came forward and gave the chance of Masi's sword. He's from a, how come you buy such a sword? He's from a strange land, Masi said. Which land? Home. The chancellor nodded and a spear poked Masi's side. My name is Masi, most excellent queen, he said. The chancellor repeated it to the queen. Masi? Just Masi? Men like you fall from sky and just pick up names? Where do you hail? What house? Masi from the house of Azar, from lands of the eastern light, he said. Chancellor repeated it. Why are the man east of the sea live in these lands? And why is this disease, what is this disease that burned all the color from your skin? Tell me now, since nobody in this court likes when you annoy their queen. I said, nobody in this court likes if you annoy the queen. The court erupted in no's and uh-uh's and shouts to the gods. 
And yet his hearers black as coal. Lift that sleeve. Yes, yes, yes. But how is this? Your shoulder is lighter than your arm. I can see it right there. Did they sew arms onto you? My wise counselor had better start counseling. Masi saw my face. I saw Masi's face and he fell into worry. I will see more. Remove it, the queen said. Remove your robe, said the chancellor. What? Masi said, no. No, the queen said, that she understood despite his tongue. Two guards, two guards grabbed Masi. They took a knife, lodged between the garment of his shoulders, and cut it off. No gas? I hear no gasping, the queen said. The room erupted in gas, coughs, wheezes, and shouts to the guards. Masi thinking, these are the things must happen to me, that must happen to me, straighten his back. The woman and the eunuch sat in front of the queen, all crawled in for a closer look. What was the mystery? I did not know. Strange, strange thing, Chancellor. Why is it darker than the rest of him? Lift it, I will see the sack. He came from Masi's balls and Masi jumped. Meanwhile, in all of this, Sutherland said nothing. Just as dark? Yes, it is strange, Chancellor. It is strange, most excellent. Are you, are you a man made up of other men? Your arms darker than your shoulders, your neck darker than your chest, your buttocks whiter than your legs, and your, 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 then to the chancellor, what do your courtesans call it? I laughed. I am not one for the company of courtesans, most excellent, said the chancellor. Of course you are. They walk on four legs and cannot speak, but they are yours. <laughs> Enough of this, this talk. I will know why is it so darker than the rest of him. Is that how all men are in other lands? Is this what I would have seen had I married one of the calendar princes? Eastman, why is it the color of the man standing beside you? The chancellor said, it was curious that a man with such light skin had such dark balls. Marcy saw me covering a laugh and he frowned. The gods had some play with me, my queen, he said. The chancellor told the queen what Marcy said almost as he said it. Which man were they playing with when they took it from him to give it to you? I will know these things right now. Masi looked perplexed again. Sogolon cleared her throat. Most excellent queen, remember why we came to the lingo. I'm not one forgetting Sogolon, especially when it was a favor, especially the way you begged for it. Look at your, Masi looked at them and, and it was a shock I hid. Look at your stunned lips, she said. And why would I, the wisest of queens, not speak the savage north tongue? Especially when I constantly have to deal with savages. A child can learn it in a day. Why does my court not ooh and ah? The court erupted in oohs and ahs and shouts to the guards. She waved her hands and the guards poked Masi with his spears. He grabbed his clothes and walked back to us. I looked at him the whole time because he only looked ahead. You share with me because you think we're sisters, but I am queen and you're less than a flame's moth. Yes, most excellent, Sagalan said. Hey, so Saturday night, another UFC event. Um, well, actually, it's not Saturday night because it was in Prague. That means, hey, in the UK, we get to watch <laughs> some UFC at um, a reasonable time and not like three o'clock in the morning, which is, is, is different, man. It's kind of nice, you know. Uh, but yeah, this was from Prague from the Czech Republic 
at the O2 Arena. Um, it was okay. It was okay. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't, I don't, to be honest, I didn't really care about a lot of the fights. There were some that I thought were worth a comment. Um, Daniel Tamer against Chris Fishgold. Now, this was a, like, Daniel Tamer is a good fighter, but he just, I think he needs to work on his cardio because he looked gassed in that second round. Like, Chris Fishgold got the win. He got the sub. He didn't look great. This is the thing. He did not look great. He looked suspect. It's like he yeah, he was taking punches. He was taking hard punches. That's not a good thing. I mean, the fact because he wasn't dodging the punches. He was just taking them. He was eating them. So, hey, if he fights someone with a bigger punch than Tamor, he's gonna get fucked up. You know. So, yeah, but, you know, it's all good that he won and all, but I do, he you know, he's not making any runs. Let's just say that. Ah, I was so happy that um, Gillian Robinson, the savage. Yeah, she faced um, Veronica Makido and she got a great second round submission. Like, Robinson is, she's such an enjoyable fighter. And especially when it gets to transitions on the ground and um, different kind of, you know what I mean, different sub-attempts and things like that, she's got some nice jujitsu. so yeah, it was, it was really nice to see her get, an, get a win, get back into that column after her last fight, which was an unfortunate loss, so yeah, that was, that was good, I, I was happy about that, um, yeah, so, Oh my gosh, Dwight Grant against Carlo Pedasoli. Yeah, this this was just horrific. Was a horrific knockout. Like this at first, I thought that um Pedasoli had he just missed a kick and lost his balance. No, he went to throw the kick, while he was throwing it, Grant hit him with a hook, and just sent him flying, then he just ground and pounded him, it was, it was ugly man, it was ugly, you know what I mean, I mean whew, you don't want to see damage like that, for real, uh, then, I think, then it's got to be, we got to talk about Jean Vellante against Michael Olaszczyk. Um Now, Vellante's durable. You know, I mean, Sarah always says, Matt Sarah always says he has got great wrestling, but we never see it. But um, he's always durable, though, Vellante. Not today. Oh, man, we, we were just over halfway in the first round. And Oloshnek hit him with a body punch. And that was it. it. He he must have got, like, 
I don't know, it looked kind of a kidney punch, maybe got him on that floating rib, but he hit him, he stepped back, a couple of seconds, and then Volante just, you just saw his face just go, ugh, and he just collapsed, um, I, a few more punches were thrown, but the referee jumped in pretty quick, but yeah, that was it. So that's got to be a tough loss, a little tough loss for Falante, you know. Whew. It'll be interesting to see who gets who he gets um, put up against next, and who uh, Oles, yeah, Oles um, who he goes up against in the next fight. Uh, Stefan Strube against Marcus de Lima. This was a crazy fight because Delima was huge. Now Stefan Stroop, he's not called the skyscraper for nothing. I mean, he's seven foot tall, but he's so skinny. So you saw Delima against him, and you were just like, "Jeez, this is insane!" And it pretty much started out how you would expect because Delima rushed in, threw uh, a one-two, caught Struve, put him down, put him down, and he Struve spent basically the whole of the first round on his back, trying to avoid getting ground and pounded. You know, um, yeah, I, I I think there was a few moments where you thought the referee might jump in, but then Struve was able to save the position, move that the, the it went to the second round. Um, Delima took Struve down again, but Struve was able to reverse it. Once he got in top, he then kind of controlled it, uh, and he won with an. Um, he won with a uh, Von Flute basically but see the thing was it wasn't even the the slickest either it, it, it was a bit I mean it was just the fact that Strube is so tall because he did it from, from Mount and it's just the fact that he's so tall so he could kind of arch you back and go down into it, but even then, the move, it wasn't on legit, you know what I mean, it, 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 like, it wasn't slick, but it was just good to see Struve get the win, and then after the fight, he, uh, he took his gloves off, he says he's not sure if this is for definite, but, you know, he, he, with his health issues that he was able to overcome and then just losing four fights in a row and other stuff in his life, he just thought winning this fight, it just seemed like a good point to maybe step away. So I think this might be the last fight we see from Struve. It's, I, I, I hope so. Because, you know, Struve ain't ever going to win the title. And you kind of think he he has taken damage. He's been knocked out. He has the wolf heart situation. So you're kind of like, yo, just step away, man. Like you you hope he's just invested his money well. So he should just step away, you know. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. 
The main event was Jan Jan Blakovic against Tiago Santos. And the ramifications of this were the winner was likely to get a shot at the 205 champion. And um, uh, it was a weird fight. So the first two rounds, not a lot kind of happened. They respected each other's power. And they were just kind of pitter-pattering at each other. You know, just like not really many combinations were thrown. Some, some, some kicks were thrown, but, you know, it was pretty much whatever, whatever, you know. Then we get into the third round. With the third, it's, it's getting to the end of the round, and for some reason... Blavejevic just rushes in. He just rushes in. Because Santos is the one that kind of swarms every now and again. But no, Jan rushed in. His guard was just like, you know, he, he wasn't even really throwing punches. His arms were outstretched, but he, there was no real technique. It was just a rush. Just got clipped. Got hooked. Then a straight. Went down, then he got ground and pounded out. So yeah, Santos just—he just has really been doing his thing at two since the move up to two o five, you know. So it's kind of crazy, and it's interesting because he beat Anthony 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 Smith. Like, he took him, Anthony Smith, apart. Now, next weekend, it's the big one. 2.35. Smith challenges John Jones for the 205 championship. And so, the thinking is, like, the winner will get Santos. Because it's only a week difference in that fight. So, both... Next fights, it would work out. It would work out nicely. That you know, what I mean, they they square off. So the the likelihood is Santos will fight Jones, and I think people probably give Santos more of a chance against Jones than they would Smith. But you kind of think John Jones at his best is still gonna win. But if Anthony Smith did pull off the shock win, Santos must be feeling, he would be feeling pretty cool about that. Because he's already shown that he can knock Smith the fuck out. So, yeah, like, I I think Smith, either way, he's just like, whatever, man. Uh, You know, I fight Jones, I fight Jones. If I smite Smith... Hey, I've definitely probably got that belt. But it's going to be interesting. But yeah, next next Saturday, that's that's the card, man. And the um the co-main event, Tyron Woodley against Kamara Usman, the Nigerian nightmare. 
So I am looking forward to you. Like when you look at next week's card. Oh my god. Next week's card is pretty sick. Okay. Because we got the preliminary card. So it's Pollyanna Viana against Hannah Cyphers. Macy Chizan against Gina Mazana. Um, and Macy, it, she's claiming that she's going to be champ, the youngest UFC champion ever. So, you know, she needs to win this fight if she's going to be living up to her claims. Edmund Shabazian against Charles Bird. That's a good fight. Because Edmund, he looked really good in his fight on the Contender Series. Then we get to the um, the main preliminary card, um, and that will be on ESPN. And this card, oh my god! So Diego Sanchez against Mickey Gall, Cody Stamen against Aljano Perez, um, Misha Serkinov against Johnny Walker. And Zabit Magomena Chiripov against Jeremy Little Heaven Stevens. We get to the main card Cody Garbrandt against Pedro Munez. Tisha Shores against Wally Zareb. Robbie Lawler against Ben Ashgren. Then Tyrone Woodley against Kamar Usman. And we end with John Jones v. Anthony Smith. Serious, man. God damn it, right? That's a fight card. So, yeah. That is um, UFC 235 from Vegas on Saturday night. Looking forward to it. Okay, so this week I watched um, season. Well, now see, the thing is, so yeah, people might remember towards the beginning of the year, I like me and my friend Alex went to the South Bank, um, well, the BFI, you know, we went to the BFI and we watched a couple of episodes out of the new season of Catastrophe, season four. Um, and, um, season four has just finished airing, so, I was a bit like, right, cool, I'm gonna watch season four now, then I figured, you know what, let me go back to the beginning, you know what I mean, just absorb everything, so, that's what I've done, so, right, so now, this week, I watch season one, um, yeah, season one of Catastrophe, uh, so what we have here is like we Rob Delaney and Sharon Horrigan write and star in Catastrophe, a comedy following an Irish woman and an American man who make a bloody mess as they struggle to fall in love in London. Clumsy lust, instant pregnancy and genuine disaster provide the foundation for this flaming hovel of a relationship um yeah that that's uh 
season one's description. Um, it's six episodes, which is very good. You know, I think that's one of the real bonuses of English TV. They don't kill it on the episode count. So it's very enjoyable and it doesn't stay out, out its welcome, you know. These are short episodes, so like 25 minutes, if that. Um, and, like, one of the things I really love about this show is the way it, it, it takes these situations and it puts a true tilt to it. You know, there's how many times have we seen this kind of thing in a big Hollywood film? And it's all very saccharine. It, it's all very just big sentiment, like big actions. And it's all very false. It never feels true. You know, like when people write these books it's all stupid, like, oh, and we locked eyes, and we fell in love, and, oh, the amount of relationships we had until we really found each other, and blah, 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 ugh, just terrible, because it's not true, it's really not true, you know, but this, they, 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 as I said, look, they take these situations, and they they make it for the real world, you know. It, it it's just true. You like obviously, you know. It's amusing. They 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 take certain things to the ninth. You know what I mean? But it 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 is. I think they push certain elements, but not too far. You know, because you can still go, yeah, I've seen that shit happen. You know what I mean? It's still not, like, wholly preposterous that you're like, that would never happen. You know, it, it's like The Office in that way that we've seen these people. You know what I mean? Like, you've worked with them, you've known them, you may have dated them. But you, you know these people, like all of them, all these characters, we've come across them somewhere, somehow. And, and that's just it's part of the magic of this, you know what I mean? Because it's just like, they like each other, but it's not this, oh, we're head over heels in love. From day one, they're just like, yo, we're cool, you know what I mean, it's like, there's a, there's a moment when they're talking, and, you, like, she, Sharon says to him, um, we, like, you, you make this, this, you made this weird noise during sex, like, and do you remember, in that first week when we met, and there's that one day when I didn't contact you until like 9 p.m. Yeah, that's why. Because you made that weird noise. And then she just rolls over laughing her ass off, and he's looking at her like, 
you can <laughs> you know what I mean? and it's just like yeah that's real you know what i mean sometimes we say shit that we think is hilarious and the other person is just like i don't want to know that shit what the fuck are you doing you know what i mean and and, and that's the joy of this that right? you know what I mean? it's not trying to fool you into some false sense of like fucking Romeo and Juliet bullshit, it's giving you a warped and all portrayal, because they argue like motherfuckers, you know what I mean, and and there's nothing wrong with that, because, hey, you, you show me people that don't argue every now and again, and I will, I will call bullshit, there's everyone, there's no problem with an argument, because it's better to get it out than bottle it up, you know what I mean? But you see these crazy arguments they have. But then the moment that you realise that the other person needs you, then it, the argument doesn't matter, you know? And, and, and that's the thing. It, it, it's that that I think shows you that they do care for each other, that they do really like each other, you know, because they are there for each other, regardless of the bullshit, so, like, you know, it starts well, you know what I mean, because you just had them, and the way they meet, and everything like that, and it's crazy, and it's like, crazy, and it's awkward, it's like, and it's just weird, like, he's on a date, and then she he gets a phone call that she's pregnant and it's just like oh <laughs> which is yeah that was funny and then it ends you know he just in that weird way like it ends well and that's a, yeah it's just great man i love it and, but the writing is so sharp on this it's so like one of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite lights i had to write it so i could like um is you know obviously i'm not gonna fucking remember it you know what i mean six episodes people come on now but i it's just ah it's gold it's comedy gold it's, it's just like um um, so, yeah, he's, um, who is it, so, um, there, Rob met up with, um, uh, Chris, yeah, Rob met up with Chris, um, who's, uh, fuck, Sharon's friend's husband, so, um, and they're having a conversation, and Chris says to him, to rob um you see a little troll 
come tobogganing out your wifey's snatch on a wave of turds and part of you will hold her responsible <laughs> so funny people like um okay so oh yeah no fuck but i was gonna say this over here it aired on all four um but yeah it's on amazon prime so all you motherfuckers no matter what country you are in you can watch this shit so people listen if you're you've got access to all four or if you if you've got access to amazon prime go on look up catastrophe and watch that shit because season one is comedy gold straight up comedy gold you haven't watched a program like this before it's it's awesome and you won't be disappointed trust me all right so um you do that and uh yeah i'm gonna get on the rest of this podcast all right cool this week i read headhunters which is book seven in the john milton series uh it's by mark dawson and it's read by david fulp uh so the breakdown is bury your enemies and bury them deep John Milton thought he was done with Avi Backman, the most dangerous man he's ever known, has been incarcerated in Angola, the brutal Louisiana prison. Inmates rarely leave Angola. Once you go in, the only way out is in a box. But Buckman is no ordinary prisoner. He was an assassin for the Mossad, and he has favours to call in. Milton is in the Australian outback with an old friend and his flirtatious kid sister. Looking for a summer's peace to put his troubled mind to rest. But Buckman has other plans. He thinks that Milton killed his wife and now he wants revenge. From Australia to Israel, from Hong Kong to Croatia. Here is a conclusion of this brutal chapter in Milton's life. The two headhunters are on a collision course, and only one of them will walk away. So, I think, you know, I like this series. I really like it when it kind of goes full espionage. Um, That's why Ghosts is still my favourite of the series to date. But this, I really did like this one, Headhunters, because, like... I think the way that it continues on from Salvation Row, I think I really enjoyed that. Because every book does kind of pick up from the following one, but this one really is connected to um, to the last book. Uh, and 
yeah, there's a lot more to it as well. You know, some of the books, it's just he's trying to keep someone safe or, you know, he, he's just trying to avoid someone and, and that kind of thing. This one, it did kind of go spyish. And so, yeah, I, I like that. It's funny as well because it's the way it started. I wasn't sure if I was going to be completely down with it. Like, first of all, it starts off with um, stuff in uh, in Hong Kong. So you're like, oh, what's... Okay, what's going on here? But the way all that story unfolds, you're just like, oh, come on, no. This is too obvious. This is too obvious. Stop it. Um, so you have that. Then when you hit up with Milton... Um, yeah, so as it said, look, he, he's with his friend and his friend has a flirtatious sister. And that was all fine. Then shit goes down and you you have some stuff with the sisters like, oh, I'm not doing that. I can do what I want. Blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, no, just don't. Just don't. Because it's just like, I mean, a lot of that is just a bit dumb, I think people can often, you know, they think they're better or they're tougher than, you know, but then when everything goes crazy, you actually realise, no, no I'm not, okay, I'm going to shut the fuck up now, and so you'd have people shut up, you know, especially when their life is at risk, but in this, she's still mouthing off a lot and so at the beginning you're just like oh god damn it someone just shoot her now but then it picks up it really picks up and it really gets into the story which is good because yeah I think I would have been a bit frustrated if it just continued the way it started but yeah, it, that, that the, the, you know, the beginning isn't too long. And as I said, look, the story really picks up uh, and it ties a lot of things into it. You know, you still have stuff with the Mossad. Um, you have Milton, like, going around the world. You have other parties coming to help out and, you know, both sides. So it gets very intriguing. And I, that's the thing that um, helps really, yeah, I just think make the story, you know, it, it just makes it intriguing. It makes you think about all the possibilities. There was a little bit at the very end where you're just like, oh, but why would they do that? You know, Milton says something and then, um, yeah, that, you know, the instructions aren't followed, let's just say that, and you kind of think, I, I know how this is going to go now, ah, damn it, but, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't kind of spoil it, so that was good, you know, because there's always that fear, really, with these sort of things, um, but, yeah, you know, I, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the next book, The Ninth Step. 
which does sound it's kind of it might feed into the whole alcohol situation so um yeah hopefully it's um you know it continues the momentum and it is just as good so yeah looking forward to that and um yeah if you've been a fan of this series so far you will enjoy this book you know i i yeah i think it it's probably better than salvation row it's not quite ghosts but it's still it's still very good so yeah that was headhunters by mark dawson book seven in the john milton series okay people so you know we're coming to the end of another episode so we're gonna hit with a little little tv news and then we're gonna bounce so um you know it came out um a little while back that there's going to be a TV series of The Bone Collector, which was a great film with Denzel Washington and Angela Jolie in 99. But yeah, so that's going to be a TV series, um, um, I think, on NBC. Uh, and um, they've just uh, locked down Seth Gordon to direct um and executive produce the series that will be called um lincoln so um yeah you know like there's a load of jeffrey diva's books around the character so i guess if this is successful you know what i mean it can have multiple seasons but um you know there's no date or when it will air but I imagine you know come September that we'll, we'll either see it or we don't um with one of the big comic book acquisitions that I thought I you know I'm definitely looking forward to so Netflix you know we just had Umbrella Academy last week but the big one for me is Lock and Key um yeah, which they've uh, which they picked up. It was gonna be with another studio, fell through. Netflix picked it up, and um, I believe it's coming this year. Um, like the story revolves around three kids who um, who after the gruesome murder of their dad, they moved to um, you know their the ancestral home in Massachusetts. But they discover the house is full of these magical keys that have loads of powers and abilities. But a demon is after the keys. So it all goes, goes very crazy. But um, Michael Morris, he's worked on shows like Preacher, House of Cards, Better Call Saul. He's set to direct the first two episodes so um yeah looking forward to this man definitely looking forward to it and um finally so hey netflix have announced some some new additions to the cast of the second season of altered carbon 
up. We have some returning characters like uh, Rene Alessi Golden Gold Goldsberry will be reprising her um, her role of Qualchrist Falconer, um, the leader of the Envoys, and Chris Connor will re be reprising his role as Poe, the um, AI of the hotel. Uh, there's also going to have um, Simone Misek um, as Trip, Dina Shihabi as Dig301, Truben Lieberich as Colonel, Colonel Ivan Carrera and James Sato as Tanasadi Hadeki. And the most exciting bit of news, Anthony Mackie will be um, playing Takeshi Kovacs this season. So, yeah, that's very interesting. You know, because Kovacs really kind of uses different skins, it can be a different actor. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Because Mackie's a great actor. So, yeah, I, I think this is going to be interesting. I didn't like the second book. So, the second and third book, they're terrible. But, you know, like the first season didn't really follow every all the beats to the first book so i'm suspecting that they're gonna make a lot of changes and um yeah so i i'm i'm actually looking forward to this because i'm i'm assuming it will be better for me than um yeah the books themselves so yeah i'm i'm suspecting this will be later on this year so uh yeah I will um, wait to find out the actual air date. But, people, that is it for the week. Um, enjoy yourselves, have fun, and we'll see you next week. Echoes from the Void. We out. Peace.